Hello, everybody. My name is Elena, and I'm welcoming you to my podcast about student life, the student's voice. Today, we have the pleasure to speak to Nick, currently a student in mechanical engineering. Welcome here. All right. Thank you very much for having me, Elena. And uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, okay, so let's start with the first question. What inspires you? Well, what inspired me to study engineering is I really wanted to be an engineer since I was a young boy. And okay. uh, I think I really didn't know what exactly what I wanted to do until I was about 13, 14 years old. I <laughs> wanted to be an engineer on a merchant vessel in the merchant marine or even mm -hmm. in uh, maritime service mm -hmm. in a civilian container you know, any sort of cargo ship. So mm -hmm. I wanted to go to the Merchant Marines Academy here in the United States. It's in uh, New York and it's one of our service academies. There's five of them. Mm -hmm. And uh, I eventually decided instead of going to the Merchant Marines, I try going to the Naval Academy. It's in Annapolis, Maryland. The only mm -hmm. problem is to get into any of the US service academies, you need to be top of your class student an athlete, president of a club, and the oh. National Honor Society. And then you also have to get a recommendation from either one of your state senators. Mm -hmm. So you can, every state has two senators. For those who don't know much about the American political system or how we work, or your representative. And your state has a certain number of representatives. Mm -hmm. But where you live, that's your representative. So you only have one representative. Or you could get one from the vice president. Mm -hmm. Or if you're a family of a Medal of Honor recipient, you could get one from the president of the United States. Mm -hmm. My representative held a recommendation uh, hearing, or not really hearing, more of a session. It's just, hey, this is how you become uh, student in the service academy, this is how you apply, this is how everything works. So I went to that with my dad, and that was eventually where I sat down and realized I'm not really cut out for joining a service academy because mm -hmm. I just don't have the grades. I'm not president of a club. Sure, I am an athlete, but I'm not, you know, winning uh, athletic letters or winning state championships. So I decided mm -hmm. I'd go with the ROTC scholarship and mm -hmm. that would basically what I do for that is I would be an officer of, or I wouldn't be an officer. I'd be contracted as an mm -hmm. officer in the United States military, the Navy, the army, Marine Corps, Air Force, whoever I wanted to, mm -hmm. uh, whoever gave me a scholarship. And then that would basically say I could go anywhere I wanted to school in the United States. The only caveat being I'd have to finish my degree in four years and I have to uh, join the armed forces as soon as I graduate and follow the armed forces recruiting procedures and any and all administration from that. And eventually I decided every uh, high school student in the U.S. we have to visit. We visit universities we apply to. Mm -hmm. And 
I visited, I wanted to apply to a bunch of schools, both in-state and out-of-state. So in Virginia for me or outside of Virginia, if I did the ROTC scholarship. Mm-hmm. I visited Virginia Tech, um, Old Dominion University, Christopher Newport University. And then that's when I visited Virginia Military Institute. And mm-hmm. that's one of the, a very traditional military institute in Virginia. It's one of, mm-hmm. I think, three of those that are still remaining in the United States. And I went to that and I saw the cadets there lived and it was not exactly what you'd perceive as a college experience. Mm -hmm. You have to, you, you don't get a bed for those of you who don't know, you don't get a bed when you go to school at VMI, you have a cot and they call it a rack. And you have a mattress that you roll over your, mm-hmm. your rack every day. And you have a blanket. Mm-hmm. Every morning, you have to get up, roll your mattress up, and put your rack away. Mm-hmm. And I decided, based on that, and seeing that everyone lives basically in a prison, by the looks of it. Yeah. Sure, it's a <laughs> barracks, but it just looked to me like a prison. I decided, you know what? I'm not going to do the ROTC. I'm not going to join the military. I think I'd be best um, remaining a civilian. And even one of my uh, class, my teachers, he spent 20 years in the army. He said, Mm -hmm. "Uh, Nick, with your intelligence, you don't join the army. They're going to waste it. (laughs) And that's, that's when I decided not to join the military and instead, uh, Mm -hmm. instead do what I'm doing right now. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but do you think that you are you have more talent in math and physics and this kind of thing? <laughs> I wouldn't say it's a talent. I begrudgingly put up with the fact that I had to take a bunch of mathematics courses. I had mm-hmm. to take essentially two years worth of mathematics in college, mm-hmm. or for any Europeans listening, that'd be university to y'all. Uh, that four years was pre-calculus two. Calculus one, calculus two, uh, calculus three. And then on top of that, I had to take an ordinary differential equations course. Now, the way, the reason why I ended up in pre-calculus two is because to get into college and become part of the, uh, to study engineering, first had to study, or I first had to take an entrance exam. And one of those entrance exams was a mathematics uh, placement exam. And this exam, you mm-hmm. take it, you study for, you take it one time, you study 10 hours or more, and then you take it again mm-hmm. when you go and do your university orientation. I studied enough, so I did, I wanted to, I had to get into calculus. Calculus wanted to be an engineer. I studied as hard as I could, but there was just some stuff I didn't remember from my first time taking calculus in high school. Mm-hmm. So I ended up getting into calculus too, mm-hmm. and uh, that sure it helped me understand what was going on. But it's just ah, I uh, I'm not in the mathematics I need to be, but <laughs> I which is the integral part of engineering. But I could take every other course, and because I tested out of English, I had some transfer credit from a college course I took in high school. Mm-hmm. I decide they said, Oh, you don't need to take that. We'll just give you the credit for it. 
And I said, yes, I'll take anything. I'll take all of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I took my technical and scientific writing course. That year I took chemistry, mathematics in my introduction engineering course. And then I just took physics the next year. But that's the reason why I have to take four and a half years to study for my degree instead of four. Mm -hmm. uh, I see. So I suppose that this is a very hard degree. I suppose. It's hard if you're going if you go into this without any sort of mathematical background or any sort of physics background. It's I took two years of physics in high school because I knew I wanted to do it. I was in my high school's engineering program. Uh, I did that for four years of high school. And this program, if you don't know what you're doing, if you don't have any uh, any math, if you don't really have an advanced physics background, you're not going to do well. There was a course I took when I was in my second year studying. It's called statics. Basically, what happens in no. statics is you have this ob you have an object, and they say a bunch of forces applied on this object in this direction, in this direction, in this direction. What is the force we need to counteract all these other forces? And that course. I tell you, that course in chemistry were the two that made people drop out of engineering like nothing else. Uh, I passed the, both of those courses, uh, and I, re I realized that, you know, the reason why we do this isn't because, you know, we do this, or this is a weed out. This is a course that is integral to engineering, and it's also a course that's designed to really weed out people who don't want to do it mm -hmm. and this is stuff an engineer does you know practically all the time this is foundational mm -hmm. so in a sense it's like well i've got to put up with it i'll study it study it make sure i understand the material what's going on and i do understand the material mm -hmm. and i do understand why we do it but everything's done by computers now so we're not going to be doing everything by hand mm -hmm. without notes you know and the best part is you get paid being an engineer instead of being a student doing it. So mm -hmm. that's, that's definite uh, positive to that. And uh, aside from that, now that I'm in my third year studying, I've, I see, uh, I've seen a lot of faces going through this for three years. Mm -hmm. And then the ones who, the ones who I see now, they're the ones in, all, in every single one of my classes. Mm -hmm. I have one of my friends. He's in three of my classes a semester. Mm -hmm. And he and I, we didn't know each other initially, but now we're on really good terms. So once you get into your more advanced courses, you're going to be making pretty good friends, mm -hmm. which is another definite benefit to, uh, to doing this. Uh, yeah, so uh, could you tell us more about yourself as a person? So... For the, so about myself, that's that's pretty it's a pretty broad topic right there. Uh, and for the so I'm I'm an American, obviously. Uh, I live here in Virginia. Uh, mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, uh, you know, a lot of people like to be stereotypical towards Americans. Uh, mothers mm -hmm. of immigrant actually came from Romania, from Bucharest. Mm -hmm. uh, lived in Ceausescu's time. 
and she's got a lot of stories to tell. And she's ended up taking us to Romania to see my grandmother. And you can see uh, Piazza Uniti and all the uh, Piazza Victoria. Um, and we've all those places and just seeing, you know, it's like, wow, you see those in photographs from the revolution and mm-hmm. on Piazza Uniti, all the, uh, the tanks. And then I remember uh, standing there, you know, just being mm-hmm. there and it's like, wow it's it's very modern now i know there's a shopping mall on one side of it mm-hmm. uh one of the old french style buildings there's a military surplus store in one of the on the second floor of the building it's the one i i don't exactly know the address of it or where it is i just know it's an old french building it's in a bunch of photographs and i've been inside that building it's a military surplus store now it's mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of funny uh another thing that stuck out to me was you know, once you get out of Bucharest, you go into other other places. Uh, I've been Sinaya, Brasov, mm-hmm. uh, driven through Plaisht, and then going through and seeing all the villages is like wow, that the contrast yeah. that you see between once you go from Bucharest, which is kind of like a little flat, uh, very traditionally French, traditional. Mm-hmm. I'd call it Romanian, you know. But then you go very Romanian architecture. Then you go up through the mountains into where Sinai is and then up into Brasov. And then you start, it's like, wow, this is like I'm in Germany. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of interesting <laughs> because here in the US, I mean, it's all, you know, American. So mm-hmm. I go from here in Norfolk where I live or back in Manassas where I used to live. Mm-hmm. I go to the Appalachian Mountains. I want to go to, uh, let's say I want to go to Roanoke or Blacksburg mm-hmm. where Virginia Tech is. You drive through and you see the same thing the whole way through. It's yeah. like, you know, it's kind of cool seeing how things change and, you know, the little towns that you yeah. drive by on the interstate, but just seeing, you know, it's kind of the same, but you know, it's got its own little small town charm in a sense. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like going into Romania and you see a village every like five miles and uh, it's yeah. like, wow, it's interesting. And uh, mm-hmm. on top of that, we've been to a lot of other places in Europe other than Romania, Germany, the Netherlands, uh, mm-hmm. Spain, not Spain. Italy, Austria, and it's just interesting to see. Oh, and uh, if you count it as European Turkey, uh, it's kind of one of those places where it's like, eh, mm-hmm. it's Turkey. You don't really know what I don't really know what to count as. So I just say, oh, it's Turkey. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I think it's interesting, mm-hmm. you know, to know the difference, to, just to learn the history and the culture, and you know, just everything about the places because. You know, everywhere's different. You know, there's no like, oh, we're all, you know, you know, this, that, something else, you know, oh, you know, there's, there's differences about everywhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know everybody likes to rag on Americans. Oh, we're so, you know, we're fat, we're stupid, we're xenophobic, we love our guns too much. Uh, we, uh, we're stupid, you know, and then you go mm-hmm. to places like this and you say, uh, like uh, I can't think of some right now, but like Turkey, and with the refugees, and I went mm-hmm. over in 2015, and mm-hmm. you know they were very, and I was in Istanbul. They were very, very sensitive about the uh, the refugees being mm-hmm. in uh, these areas where the tourists can see them. And I was near the Blue Mosque, the Hagia Sophia. 
and Topkapu Palace mm -hmm. through the whole duration of that visit. That was about five, seven days long, maybe. We only saw one, uh, a single refugee. It was a family or it was a family of refugees. It was a family of four and they were very, 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 very polite and really put into perspective that they came, you know, Syria is um, thousands of miles away from Istanbul. Mm -hmm. They went from Syria through into Turkey and they made, and they ended up here in Istanbul. And that just was one of those things that it's like, wow, you know, it's good that they got out of it, but, you know, kind of sad that they're being treated the way they are. Mm -hmm. uh, but don't you think, for example, I think that a lot of foreigners think that uh, Romanian villages are basically like 19th century villages. They don't look oh, very I've, When I was in high school, uh, in my senior high school, so my fourth year, a lot of my friends took psychology. I didn't want to take psychology. I just didn't think it was a, uh, was a useful, it was mm -hmm. a use of my time. I'd rather just take an engineering course. Mm -hmm. And I remember one interaction that I, that I had with one of these guys and he was just telling me all, they watched the film about the, uh, the Romanian uh, orphans in the nineties. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know it's very, very, very sad what happened to him because once uh, Ceausescu's government fell, and the revolution those orphans were just abandoned mm -hmm. and they were showing me the state of these orphanages and uh or they were you know they saw the film about the orphanages mm -hmm. and it was uh they'd they talk you know they'd insult me for being you know having romanian heritage mm -hmm. when i have no direct tie-in except to my mother it's like look you know, I don't have any, uh, yeah. you know, what happens to those kids isn't my doing, you know, mm -hmm. that's people, number one, saying, we don't want communism anymore. We're going to, we're going to revolt against Ceausescu. Mm -hmm. And then with the sudden onset of capitalism in Romania, you know, in, in Eastern Europe in general, what, what do you really think is going to happen? You know, you're going, you're taking a people who are used, accustomed uh, from living under communism to totally mm -hmm. shifting them to a system under capitalism. So essentially you're saying, well, what, what do we think is going to happen? That everything's going to be magical as soon as, you know, that, no, there's going to be some shock to the system. Mm -hmm. There's, there's going to be some experience where everyone, it, and it was chaos. My mother told me stories of the Minarads. Yeah. And, uh, when, uh, was it, Ilyanescu, yeah, yes, uh, Ilyanescu. Mm -hmm. When he sent in the coal miners to uh, to uh, basically beat up a bunch of students who were protesting against mm -hmm. former communists being in the Romanian government, and you know, I I said to these guys, I have you don't have any idea what's going on. What's the history of this place? Sure, it's mm -hmm. tragic, but you dare insult me over something that happened 20 something years ago, 30 mm -hmm. years ago. Mm -hmm. And I had no direct contribution to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that's just low. 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, my mother's also told me stories about the villages and, you know, I hope that the government gives them a little bit more attention, a little bit more development, but with the, uh, with what's going on with the downturn of the economy over there and the fact with the European Union that your Romanians can just immigrate to Germany, France, the Netherlands, uh, Ireland. What 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 are you going to do? That's the people who are, you know, they have the opportunity. They're going to go to seek a better opportunity. It's going to leave mm. the people without it. And I mean, there's not really much you can do. Mm-hmm. And mm. on top of that, with the amount of corruption, you kind of have to think, well, how really can you develop all this area? Mm, yes, it's actually complicated, I think. Uh, yeah. And I think that everywhere in Europe, you have a lot of clashes, like you said about Ceausescu uh, in Europe, you will be asked about communism, about the gypsies, for example, and this kind of clashes. I, I've heard, you know, it's, I hear the same thing about, I just want to get a little bit more light in here, uh, about, you know, I've heard about how the gypsies are and i've you know mm-hmm. being to remain being in romania you you get to do you get to meet them face to face and you know sure they're in a bad situation and you know it's all that but with the amount of hate they get because you know you go to you know france you know france or germany or you know romania mm-hmm. poland anywhere they're going to all say the same thing oh these gypsies they're they're filthy, they're horrible, you know, you need to get them out of here. And what really can you, you can't really, we have the same, we have sort of a problem here with our racial issues in the United States. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of racial tension in it. and it's sort of this, and it's kind of sad to see the same thing happen in Europe where, you know, we look to them as like, oh, they're more civilized. And, you know, as Americans, we look over and it's like, they're so civilized, but then you look, you know, deeper at the surface and it's like, well, mm-hmm then you find how they think of gypsies. And then when you then start to realize that they're one of the people that Hitler wanted to kill in his final solution, just eliminate all of them. It's like, geez, it's kind of tragic in a sense. And, you know, I hope now that they get a little bit better treatment, but you know, if the attitude on them doesn't change, then, Mm -hmm. you know, what, what are you going to do about it? And as for them, I hope that the gypsies themselves, I hope that they can, you know, find ways to support themselves mm-hmm. and uh, find jobs, create businesses, you know, find ways to, you know, get a little bit of respect. Otherwise, yes, you know, it's going to be a bad experience for them too. Mm-hmm. And it harkens back to when in the 1800s, uh, the United, in ni- 17th, 18th, 19th century, or well, 18th 19th 20th century you know how when we originally were colonists mm-hmm. first thing one of the first things we did was we realized wait a minute we can grow tobacco and other cash crops here in the new world mm-hmm. and we just imported black slaves mm-hmm. and it's kind of and it's i wouldn't say the gypsies are kind of the same i don't know personally of if they were truly you know, slaves in Europe, you know, mm-hmm. probably under Hitler, they were when he was, you know, concentrating them in the final solution. 
mm-hmm. but you know it's the we have the same issues here with what we can do with mm-hmm. our you know because we discriminated against blacks in mm-hmm. the south and to an extent in the north and you know now we they we have the civil rights the civil rights law mm-hmm. and hate crime law which is very very much you know a good thing that we have because hey if we can't treat people as equals then mm-hmm. why do we have in one of our founding documents the mm-hmm. uh, declaration of independence that all men are created equal and mm-hmm. are endowed by the creator with certain unalienable rights life liberty the pursuit of happiness mm-hmm. and if no one can enjoy are we really the united states and i'd mm-hmm. say we're not the united states we can't guarantee you know not only the inalienable rights but the rights that they the rights that Americans enjoy under the mm-hmm. Constitution, you know, our rights to our rights to free speech, our rights to mm-hmm. peaceable assembly, to bear arms, to be free from cruel and unusual punishment, to have due process mm-hmm. under law. And I know I'm forgetting a few, but mm-hmm. you know, what's the point if you can't protect people from that? So, I it should be the same thing in Europe too, especially since on uh, the French Revolution, which many. Uh, mm-hmm places in europe consider their own you know enlightenment they were influenced by americans when we had mm-hmm. our revolution against the british in fact thomas mm-hmm. jefferson went over to france to help draft the declaration of rights of men mm-hmm. so i hope that everything is uh more advanced in the future mm-hmm. and i think that's really what everyone wants in the end to be able to enjoy their rights of as a man and as a woman just as humans be treated equally under the law and to enjoy the benefits of being in a polite and decent society mm-hmm. uh, yes we actually have in france uh, declaration uh, des droits de l'homme the the declar- yeah like the declaration of human rights yeah i've heard about that in the european union the whole you know mm-hmm. declaration of the european declaration of human rights and that's one of the foundational documents of the european union essentially Mm-hmm, yes. Well, and then that and the four freedoms. What is it? Travel. Uh, I, I forget them, obviously, you know, very bad on me for mm-hmm. being an ignorant American. But mm-hmm. what is it? It's travel. Can you help me out with these? Uh, no, I, I don't know. I know travel. Um, that you can travel to any country in the European Union, live in any country in the European Union, work in any country in the European Union and something else. And I forget uh, what the okay. fourth one is. Uh, I don't know either. But I, I actually, the I don't know, the motto of France is uh, Liberté, Egalité, Fraternité, like uh, Liberty, Equality, and uh, Fraternity. So uh, the French constitution is mostly based on human rights. Maybe, right. maybe the same. It's the same in America. Yeah, our constitution... Uh, we have, or I took a U.S. government class and we hammered home the Constitution so much. Mm-hmm. And we have how Congress works, how the presidency works, how the mm-hmm. uh, the courts work, Section 5, section, section 4, 5, and 6. And then we have the amendments. Mm-hmm. I think there's 27 right now. The first 10 mm-hmm. are the Bill of Rights. And those are the rights that we as a citizen the first rights, mm-hmm. so free speech, 
uh, freedom of the press, freedom to peaceably assemble, mm -hmm. um, our right to bear arms. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't have to quarter soldiers in your home during time of peace. Uh, freedom from search and seizure. Uh, freedom mm -hmm. from uh, due process of law. Freedom from excessive fines and bail. Uh, mm -hmm. I forget what the seventh is. Someone's going to freaking yell at me for that, probably. Uh, protect freedom from cruel and unusual punishment. Mm -hmm. uh, and the fact that any rights that aren't in the Constitution themselves are given to the states to resolve instead of the federal government. Mm -hmm. And that's, I would say here, it's more like this is, and then we have additional amendments like the fact that, that uh, mm -hmm. during, during uh, Reconstruction, we realized that, mm -hmm. yeah, this, uh, since the Civil War happened over slavery, we want to make sure that uh, disenfranchised people, that all people enjoy the rights mm -hmm. of the Constitution, that all people have the right to vote and that all people are free from slavery unless they're, um, it's punishment for a crime. So it's kind of like a half in a sense, but we, but if you're, you know, just a normal guy, you didn't do anything, then you have no worry of, you know, being mm -hmm. labeled a criminal needing to be, you know, put to slavery. And then we have a bunch more amendments. One of them is prohibition, but we got rid of that. And, you know, women can vote, uh, direct election of senators, bunch of different re, uh, another redo of the electoral college, mm -hmm. uh, secret ballot elections. So and the constitution is one of those documents that everybody looks at and goes, it's cool, but sometimes mm -hmm. it needs changes, but mm -hmm. we don't have the same thing in Europe where we realize, oh, we need to get rid of this whole thing. Just mm -hmm. get rid of it. Uh, we're going to make a new one. No, I think it's to my understanding that the U.S. has the oldest constitution, the oldest functional constitution in the entire world. And if that's, mm -hmm. you know, the case, I completely believe it. We've uh, had the same, we've had the same constitution since our, in, since our inception as a nation. And the fact that we haven't had to say, throw it out, get rid of it, or make a new one is really indicative of how effective it is, in my opinion, of governing a nation. Uh, do you actually think that the U.S. is a conservative country because you don't like revolutions changing, um, this kind of things? Well, that's, that's a good question, actually, because... Like for example, uh, as uh, as far as I remember, I don't know I don't know a lot of things about uh, the history of your country, but as I know, there was no revolution like the French Revolution. So I don't know were there revolutions in the well, world? we had the first when America became a country, it essentially mm -hmm. was a revolution. It's the American Revolution, the Revolutionary War, mm -hmm. uh, seventeen seventy six. And that, that really is our revolution. And then, and that's when we realize as a nation that we don't need to be, you know, under Britain, we're free, we're free men. We're going to make this, you know, mm -hmm. the country, we're going to make this, you know, the country of freedom. And eventually we got to that. And then the civil war happened. And that's because the South decided Uh, mm -hmm. we 
we want to keep slavery as an institution instead of getting rid of it. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, we want to be uh, more mm-hmm. strong. We want to have stronger states instead of a stronger government. And we want to be more agrarian. We want to have a more agrarian society instead of a more industrialized mm-hmm. one. And uh, that lasted from 1861 to 1865. Mm-hmm. You could argue that was a second revolution because it went, it led to reconstruction. But reconstruction was one of those things that isn't really as extensive as it should, mm-hmm. arguably w- could have been because of President Rutherford B. Hayes and the, uh, the gentleman's agreement, as it's called in American history, mm-hmm. which basically said, oh, we don't need to, uh, the South doesn't need to do uh, any of the reconstruction stuff anymore because, uh, you know, we're going to build some railroads or I mm-hmm. forget exactly what it is, which is my knowledge of American history. And that led to, uh, then there was labor movements from the, 1890, from the 1880s all the way into the 1910s, up to World War I. That led to, uh, you know, stuff like uh, Fair Labor Re- Fair, the Fair Labor Standards Act, which is one of the most important laws in uh, American labor, which is arguably mm-hmm. the more American labor relations. Uh, and that led to stuff like uh, Taft-Hartley, which for some people is a freaking mess if you talk to them or some people think mm-hmm. it's great. I think it's all right. Uh, then you have issues like then eventually civil rights, uh, you have McCarthyism in the 1950s. And then civil rights probably is the third biggest revolution mm-hmm. in a, when we re, when everyone was like, yeah, instead mm-hmm. of saying we're equals and being put down, we and blacks were being segregated, they were being mistreated. Mm-hmm. They were being they were being treated as second class citizens. Mm-hmm. And led to uh, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, mm-hmm. the Civil Rights Act of 1968. And there were a bunch more before them, but that w- those two were the big two, which basically abolished all the, uh, told the states, look, you got to be, you got to treat these people equally, or mm-hmm. we're going to be, we're going to, uh, we're going to force you to do it. And mm-hmm. that's one of the, uh, you know, the 60s, mm-hmm. 70s, those were another very liberalizing period in American history. But then when you get to stuff like the Reagan revolution in the 80s, that's when the American right really came into what it is now. Uh, and that basically the America first uh, individualist mm-hmm. uh, mindset where, well, it's not really more of an individual. This is more of where Americans first and mm-hmm. that's going to be what we base our foreign policy or domestic policy, everything mm-hmm. off of, which kind of came, which kind of was a bit of a shaky thing until Trump came into presidency. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole nother controversy. If you really want to get into that, <laughs> yeah, just to talk, if you have any more Americans on your podcast, that's another, that's a big sensitive issue. Mm-hmm. And Bush, and I'd say Bush, Clinton and Bush, kind of Bush, Clinton from Reagan. We have Bush, Clinton, Bush. That was kind of, you know, not, mm-hmm. not much. Obama came in. And that was another, you know, liberalizing period mm-hmm. because that's when we started to flirt with 
you know, we have Obamacare instead of having mm-hmm. our Obamacare really, uh, I wouldn't say socialized because it didn't, it gave access, gave access to all the people who didn't have it. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it changed American medical law in a couple of ways. And mm-hmm. you also have changes like the taxes where mm-hmm. we sort of, where we had a progressive income tax instead of, you know, a flat, we're going to charge you this amount for your taxes. And then mm-hmm. there's a bunch more that happened with Obama that mm-hmm. either A, I don't remember, or B, I just forget. Well, actually, it's the same thing. I just forget it, even though I was a kid during it. Mm-hmm. And then we have Trump. And then that was another big, you know, aha, mo- big hot moment in American politics where, you know, mm-hmm. instead of it being Reagan type neoliberal uh, politic, neoliberal right. We instead have a very America first, you know, very, that's the best way to describe it. America first Mm -hmm. kind of paleoconservative mindset to, uh, to our nation. And that's a bunch of controversy in that a lot of people think it's a sensitive issue still. Uh, I have, you know, friends who'd say other things about it, uh, you know, that, oh, they've done this, that, something Mm -hmm. else. And, I know someone now, she's an international student and she, uh, she's because of how the visa changes occurred that she's got to, you know, do pretty well in school. Otherwise she's out. Oh, that's very yeah. sad. And other than that, we have, but I would consider, but conservative, I... I wouldn't say we're a conservative nation. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not as conservative as, you know, nations like Saudi Arabia or mm-hmm. China or Japan or, you know, certain or some African nations or some South American nations. Mm-hmm. But we're definitely not like Europe or, well, Western Europe or, uh, or Australia or Britain mm-hmm. or Canada. We're sort of we're on their coattails, but we want to make well think we sort of have a unique we want to be America feel to everything instead of just oh we want to go full on into this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how do you know all this all these things about um, American contemporary history and I don't know about the right and so on because I know for example um, when I was in Romania it was such a pity because we didn't learn about those things and you know we didn't know about the political parties we didn't know about what happened in the recent history and you have to search it by yourself on internet. How do you know all this stuff? Uh, because of this magical little guy right here, my cell phone. <laughs> that I, I tell you what, a, a lot of a lot of the American politics. It's more of a, it's starting to become more of a spectator sport. Mm-hmm. I, I would say because with twenty four hour news cycles, and everything being in the nation's conscience, mm-hmm. and social media kicks around things, you really start to understand the history because you know it's happening before you and everybody's Mm -hmm. talking about it Mm -hmm. and everybody can say what they think about it Mm -hmm. and you know historic from an academic perspective you know if we want to be you know 
like mm-hmm. a go through true historical review process and stuff like that. That's going to take years. You know, right now, everybody wants to wants to know why. Mm-hmm. I think that's because that's that's innately human. We want to know why things happen, and people want to know why, especially as if something happens, like why why did Trump get elected in twenty sixteen? Mm-hmm. Why did Biden get elected in twenty twenty? Was there you no know, the January sixth? Mm-hmm. Why did January sixth happen? Why did all the riots in 2020 happen? Mm-hmm. Why, why do mass shootings happen? Why do, why aren't we involved more? Why aren't we involved further than we are in the war in Ukraine? Why aren't we uh, taking a strong stance against China? Mm-hmm. Why aren't we funding uh, uh, issues like uh, you know? Why aren't we bringing more attention to gay rights or transgender rights or mm-hmm. you know? Con- uh, stuff like that why aren't we uh why aren't we socializing our medicine why aren't we funding more into you know public transport things like that so people ask these questions and they want to get an answer and then they start debating it and it goes on and you know eventually it gets written down by some dude in a wikipedia article Mm -hmm. and that's 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 how we really learn more of our contemporary history and i Mm -hmm. And that's that's how I learned it anyway. A lot of people they learn it through, you know, CNN, mm-hmm. NBC, Fox News, and they'll repeat the same points. You know, some will learn it through some political commentator on YouTube. And, you know, I want to form my own opinion on things, so mm-hmm. I I look through I like to look at both sides because I have friends who are on one side of the issue. I have my own side of the issue. So mm-hmm. I think it's good to see both perspectives and, you know, see why things happen, even though I disagree with them and personally don't believe in some things, mm-hmm. but you can't just discount a whole other side because it doesn't fit your narrative. Mm-hmm. They have, they have as equal voice as I do. So why discount it? Mm-hmm. Uh, but actually, I know people and they're just like, you know, they don't think about politics, uh, what happens in the world. They are just like, okay, so I will go for this president because he has a very great smile, he looks kind, so I don't care about his ideology and his purposes. I mean, personally, I vote for someone who has my best interest in heart. Mm-hmm. You know, I want a good economy, so when I get a job, I can, you know, work that Mm -hmm. if I start saving money, my savings are going to be protected. That isn't going to, that's going to have a foreign policy. So Mm -hmm. that this nation is going to be, you know, strong so I can work and, Mm -hmm. you know, make sure that we're a safe country, Mm -hmm. you know, so I can be safe. It's kind Mm -hmm. of pretty self-explanatory. And that's what I do with my state governor, uh, Mm -hmm. my local representatives, my senators, uh, state and federal so uh, that's what that's what i do everyone else they have their own ideas but i think most people here they do it because they have their best in, because they think that politician has their best interest in heart you know whether it's you know they want to protect the environment or they want to uh you know make sure the nation is at peace you know if they like george bush god forbid you know mm-hmm. stuff like that uh i see so it's like taking responsibility for, for yeah the, yeah the yeah 
Okay, it's like uh, what's happening in history or what's happening in politics. Uh, it's like securing your own future. I mean, that's what I think. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's the right way to think of it because you know mm-hmm. everyone wants to have a place better than it better than it is already. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. You know, we all know the politicians. They they say things just to say things. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's kind of universal. Mm-hmm. You know, one minute they're saying, "Oh, I'm going to, uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to cut down corruption." Next thing mm-hmm. you know, they're brought up in a corruption scandal. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that's here in the United States or in Romania or in, you know, anywhere in the nation or anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. But to a certain extent, you kind of have to, you know, think about it and say, "Well, I mm-hmm. do think this person has my this." candidate has my best interest at heart whoever you know he she happens to be so i'm gonna vote for them i'm gonna vote for this candidate Mm -hmm. uh do you actually notice a difference between like a cultural difference between romanians and americans oh oh definitely between really any really really europeans in general in the u.s but it's a little bit you know, naive of me to say, oh, all Europeans are different. You know, a lot of, I know a lot of people, they look at a lot of Europeans, especially Western Europeans, they look at us funny and they say, oh, you're American. Oh, <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare to be someone like you. But then when you, when, in my experience, I go to Romania or Bulgaria, mm-hmm. you know, even to Turkey or to, uh, I mean, some people in Germany were like, ooh, that's interesting. When you say you're American, but not many look at you like that and say, ooh, that's nice. It's mainly in Eastern Europe and mm-hmm. in other places. It's like, oh, I'm American. And they're like, ooh, that's that's really good. But yeah. there is a difference, you know, politically, culturally, economically, socially. Like over here, over here for example, there's mm-hmm. a very, you know, Really, it depends where you are. You could be in a very liberal city or mm-hmm. in a very left-leaning city like San Francisco mm-hmm. or New York City, Washington, D.C., uh, Miami, Florida, mm-hmm. just to name a couple or that I can think of. And you'll see, you know, sort of things that are similar to Western Europe, like, oh, we uh, we have this initiative, that initiative. We have... Mm-hmm. Um, we don't want to, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I can't think of, you know, what to say right now, but when you get down, when you, uh, think about it, you know, you look at Romania and you say, you know, Mm -hmm. these people, you know, they're culturally it's different because not only do you have the history under communism, you have Mm -hmm. the history that, you know, before, uh, the Hohenzollerns came in and decided to rule Romania. Mm-hmm. Originally, it was French influenced by Alexandru Uan Cusa. Mm-hmm. I think I said his name right. Yeah, Alexandru Cusa. Alexandru Uan Cusa. Yes, him. And before that, it was the Ottomans. Mm-hmm. And I think my mother said it best that Romania is a very uh, Turkishly influenced, Turk influenced. Uh, nation 
because it's very, very relaxed and very, you know, familial and very, uh, mm-hmm. very, uh, I think familial and relaxed is a way to put it. Mm-hmm. Versus America, we have a very interesting view on things because we're the nation that works, mm-hmm. whose workers work the longest hours. Mm-hmm. We have, you know, we're very, individualistically focused in our laws in the Mm -hmm. way our court system works Mm -hmm. and in the way our nation was founded which Mm -hmm. is which is reflective of our own culture Mm -hmm. and on top of that we have this we still cling on really to our national mythology of Mm -hmm. that we we as americans we were the people who you know had to fight to uh really make our nation to repel uh to get the british out because they were oppressing us mm-hmm. and that's still reflected today in our culture because you know we have three three rights our life our liberty and our pursuit of happiness mm-hmm. that's the basis of our nation that's the basis of our culture that's the reason why we had the revolution the reason why we had the civil war the reason why we had the civil rights movement mm-hmm. And all those, those three ideas, I wouldn't say they're uniquely American. Mm-hmm. We may have been the first ones to write them down, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't say they're uniquely American. Mm-hmm. But, you know, with your example, with France, the three ideas that were in the, uh, the Constitution or the Revolution, liberté, égalité, fraternité, mm-hmm. liberty, equality, fraternity. Mm-hmm. That's your na- that's your nation's culture. Your yeah. law is built around life between freedom, equality, and fraternity. Mm-hmm. That is, and when Napoleon and then Napoleon comes in and mm-hmm. does some other stuff, but I wouldn't say. And again, politically, you know, Romania is a bit of an interesting case versus the United mm-hmm. States. In fact, mm-hmm. the rest of Europe in that matter, because we have a two-party system, Republican, Democrat. Mm-hmm. What, what do you have in Romania? You have the PNL, the uh, Social Democrats. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the PNL is the, the Liberals. The PSD is, uh, PSD is um, Democrat Socialists. Our a, UAR, or our saver, whatever UAR, UAR is. Uh, no, it's U.S. Are. It's, uh... Yes, that's the one. I've done some research on it. There's Save Romania, the Save Romania Coalition or Save Romania Party, whatever it is. Yes, exactly. It's uh, Uniunea Salvați Romania. We have, for example, now a very crazy political party called Aur. And I don't know, basically... They're... Yeah, that's the one I've yeah. heard of, Aur. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they are basically nationalists. And the leader is someone who wrote a thesis saying that women are inferior to men or women are not as intelligent as men. That's, I would say that's a little, myself, I'd say that's crackpot, just no. You know, yeah, yeah, and he's very, I don't know, the, 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 the two persons leading this party are, you know, very, I don't know, very scandal doing, talking very loudly everywhere, and this is not. Yeah, they prone, yeah. prone to uh, creating scandals. And then you have 
Uh, I think the last one I can think of off the top of my head is the native Hungarians. They have their own political party. Yes, yes, of course. And that's and then that's extremely different from from us here in America because you know we only have Republicans and Democrats. You vote mm-hmm. for one side or you vote for the other, or mm-hmm. you vote for the Libertarians if you're mm-hmm. the Libertarian Party, the Green Party, if you really want to make a statement, mm-hmm. so to speak. Or I, what I would say, what I'd say is, you know, waste your vote because we have other part in certain factions of the party of mm-hmm. the Republican Party and the Democrat Party. They have libertarians. They have mm-hmm. uh, environmentalists. They have, mm-hmm. um, you know, now it's, you know, people would say right wing or far right wing or far or left wing or far left wing forming mm-hmm. in both parties. I've said they're, they've formed uh, after 2016. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's because it's within the party, not just, oh, we just create our own political party. Mm-hmm. It's not part of it's very different from like Romania, France, Germany, the Netherlands, mm-hmm. where you have 9,000 different political parties. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it's just different. And then not only that, it's the way the country mm-hmm. works. In Romania, it's presidential, semi-presidential parliament. Over here, it's for a, president, for a mm-hmm. presidential system. Mm-hmm. And then we don't have a parliament. We have Congress. Congress works yeah. different from a parliament. Mm-hmm. Our president is really special compared to mm-hmm. uh, President of Romania because he, he's got a very important job in our system. Mm-hmm. And then we have the courts, which work fundamentally completely differently from that in Romania. Mm-hmm. So it, there, there is a difference mm-hmm. politically and legally. Socially, I would say a little bit. I wouldn't say that there's too much, you know, social mm-hmm. difference between Romanians and mm-hmm. Americans, except for the pat, except for the fact that people like my grandmother's generation, they wish for, you know, the communists to come back. Whereas people in America, that's something that we don't want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, and I think that there is, I don't know, people from older generation think more about family, uh, you know, getting a family in this Yes, time. yes. Uh, oh, or for example, uh, no gay people, <laughs> this kind of thing. And it's the same. It's the same thing here. They're from back when they were younger. That's, that's what they learned and they mm-hmm. stuck with it. I've found I've done some reading. People really don't change their political ideas as they grow older. And that's just part of it. Uh, I actually listened to a podcast with a girl doing the work and travel project in the US. And she said, for example, that she um, met some people on the street that she didn't know. And these people just said, uh, hi, how are you? Because, you know, it was in a, in a village. So everybody knew each other, this kind of things. And, you know, for example, uh, if someone, she expected that people would ask her, how are you? Because they are actually interested in what uh, she's doing like I don't know I'm meeting I'm doing that but in fact she said that in America when you just say hi how are you it's just like uh, not really to know what you are doing but it's like a form of politeness yeah that's that it's a great when you say oh how are you doing that's even a form of green here you know you say hey what's up yeah. 
that's that's just a way of saying hi you know uh, yes, and actually this girl Which... said that, uh, she said, uh, yes, I'm just uh, trying to rent a car and this kind of things. And those people were like, yes, but we don't know you very well. So why do you tell us about what you're going to do? Because we just asked this question as a greeting, as a form of politeness. Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's one of the fundamental differences between us here and, you know, uh, between mm. us and you know, Europe. Here it's, you know, sure we're, I wouldn't say it's, you know, oh, we're, you know, very mm -hmm. afraid, but it takes a little bit of warming up for us to, for us Americans to get used to someone, but once you're used to someone, you're, you're one of us, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, I see. And, uh, I don't know. So I thank you very, very much for participating into this podcast. Do you want to add something to this conversation? Uh, just like to say thank you very much for Elena for having me. Uh, she's a very great host. If you ever want to come on, uh, <laughs> okay. I recommend it. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. And, uh, Goldman University, go Monarchs. Um, yes, I'd like to make a some sort of conclusion to this podcast. You talked about a lot of things. You talked about American politics, history, and about engineering. You said that it's pretty hard to follow a program in engineering because um, if you don't have the basis and physics and things like that, um, like it's very difficult and you wouldn't be able to understand what you're doing. Doing. So you also said that there were students that uh, just dropped out, and I and you also saw, you also said that um, some you know that in some how, how should I say that like the first university year is like just trying to select the students that are actually suitable for university, and I actually agree with that because I think that in my first semester uh, on my university it was the same you know because they just wanted the teachers wanted to know who are the people that actually that are actually interested in in doing something that are enthusiastic about what they are studying and that are interested in reading, doing exercises, and who are the people that, you know, are, are there in the university when they don't want to study. So I'd say, oh, I'm, I apologize. No, 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 just, uh, just tell me. I'd say that's a pretty accurate summation of the process. And uh, I think the one comment I'd like to say just in closing is, uh, it's good to have an understanding, you know, of what is going on, what you're doing in life, why you're doing it mm -hmm. before you go do something, before you do it. And if you don't, if you don't have it, you better figure it out because, well, mm -hmm. you better start enjoying it. Uh, otherwise, mm -hmm. otherwise, uh, you know, you're not going to drive much, much up uh, to drive much. Might as well do something mm -hmm. instead of, you know, just drudging something out and saying, oh, this is what I like doing and you're going to suffer in the end. No, mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's what I'd say. And if you have someone who's different from you, understand mm -hmm. them as well, because, you know, especially if you're working with them, mm -hmm. you're romantically interested in them, mm -hmm. learn to understand them, learn to understand their differences and enjoy those differences. You know, mm -hmm. you may end up figuring out that you're really not so different after all. Mm -hmm. You know, I've met people from across the world mm -hmm. and 
I eventually get to talking to them, and sure, they may be Romanian, they may be Indian, they may be Russian, they may be Mongolian, they may be Brazilian. Mm-hmm. They could be anyone, mm-hmm. and they could share the same views, the same values, and even if they're different values, views mm-hmm. than my own, I still find a way to make some sort of meaning out of it. Mm-hmm. And to everyone listening, that's my advice to you. Uh, yes, it's actually interesting what you are saying with um, in spite of your nationality or in spite of your country, we can still find uh, some points that we have in common. Uh, that's actually my idea of this podcast. I wanted to invite students from different countries and to speak to them and to see uh, some, I don't know, cultural differences or how is it uh, in their universities, in their countries. And I find this interesting because I'm actually doing research on intercultural studies and on, I don't know how do different nations interact with each other so well I'd yeah. say this is probably the best experience to, this is probably the best environment to do it in yeah, yeah it's really it's really interesting um, you, uh, another thing that you mentioned was I don't know was the American Constitution and it made me it made me think about the fact that a lot of people don't know a lot of things about their own country's constitution about the rights that they have in that country because we are not doing that in school and it's very important to just find by yourself this information and to reflect reflect on these things, reflect on what's happening in politics, because you said we are we are making part of this, uh, how should I say, of this contemporary historical context. And if you are just uh, not knowing things about that, um, it's complicated to, I don't know what to say, it's complicated to vote with the person, for example. And I, I, I actually think that um, we should focus more in school on this kind of education. Like, for example, know the constitution of your, of your, of your country or uh, know, know the rights that you have, for example, in Europe, uh, this kind of um, non-informal education, I'd say. Yeah, what I... Mm-hmm. What was in high school in Virginia, you're required to take a civics class mm-hmm. to graduate high school. I took a civics class. Every Virginian has to take a civics class. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it is in the rest of the country, or even in the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. It's You should have to take a civics class. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't know how your government works, you mm-hmm. don't know how your, your foundational documents work, you mm-hmm. don't know how your legal system works, mm-hmm. you're really not going to be doing yourself any favors especially if you get involved in either of those three systems. Uh, well, we actually uh, we actually also have a class, uh, civic education, but it's like a joke. You don't learn a lot of things. You learn just about, I don't know, the power in the state, but you don't know, like, like you don't learn concrete things. Uh, you don't learn about the political parties, which is very sad. Um, and we also don't have, for example, as I remember from my history lessons, uh, for communism, there was, or I don't know, for the politics after the 90s there were only two pages or three pages and this is not enough because we don't know what's happening now so it was kind of weird and for example in the literature courses uh we never did um 
literature on communism because they thought, okay, so communist literature is ideologized, so we won't study that. But I, I don't know, I find this uh, such a pity. And also, we don't learn about literature after the 90s. It's, this is also such a pity because everyone uh, I did some how should I say I did some tutoring with students that wanted to prepare themselves for the, the their finals in Romanian literature and everyone was like uh, in my opinion a writer is someone who's dad who's a man and who is uh, I don't know who is uh, Romanian speaking like they didn't know I don't know the new authors after the than the 19th century after well, the for, for learning how a, a little bit more about communism i recommend you this one it is uh i must betray you by ruta sepet yeah I'll, it's right here uh mm -hmm. ruta sepet sepetis s-e-p-e-t-y-s uh it's about the securitate and how the securitate uh recruited uh, mm -hmm. members and how they spied on the remaining people and at oh, least for you uh, that would be uh, that would be something to read you know mm -hmm. if you want to learn about Romania ever since uh, in communism mm -hmm. uh, I personally don't know of many other works time under communism except like Cold War history stuff it's just all mm -hmm. oh, Romania was this way under communism I, I watch documentaries about that Mm -hmm. Mostly about uh, the revolution, mm -hmm. about Ceausescu's life, mm -hmm. about why the revolution occurred anyway, and mm -hmm. uh, it's I even though I'm an American, I learned about you know mm -hmm. with the stories that my mother told me about how it was living under Ceausescu, mm -hmm. how it was in the seventies and the eighties, then mm -hmm. in the nineties, and mm -hmm. it was. Since we don't didn't have that here, we had we had relatively peaceful political change. Mm -hmm. It's very eye opening to see, you know, what happens when violence brings about mm -hmm. political change. Mm -hmm. It's sudden, it's long reaching, and mm -hmm. eventually, in the end, it's going to be very chaotic. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, I actually read two novels uh, about communism. Maybe you know the the winner, the winner of the Nobel Prize, Hertha Müller, uh, is a I don't know is a Saxon or German lady who won the I don't know the literature prize. Um, she was considered as the first Romanian woman. Well, actually, she's not actually Romanian, but she grew in Romania. She's uh, German or Saxon. Uh, right. And she wrote a book about the fact that how the, how should I say, how the security just pushed her to, I don't know, if you want to keep this job, you have to uh, just be implied in the secret services. You just have to have the security because we will just uh, get you out of this job if you don't do that. So it was uh, a novel about that. Right. I, I, pro I, I probably should give it a read just to brush up my own knowledge and... Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, just to brush up my knowledge on it. And I actually listened to an interview with her a few days ago, and she said that people, uh, for example, on their job, people were kind of nationalist, especially the security, because they told her, uh, you are a Nazi, you should get out of this country, go back to your Nazis. And 
this kind of things because I I think that actually communism was very I don't know like Ceausescu didn't like a lot the uh, the minorities. Yeah, I've heard the same thing, and uh, between and what I personally learned from seeing mm -hmm. places like Kotrachen and Pelish uh, mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. you know all those places was that he had a very Romanian cent a very I wouldn't say Romania centric view, but he was very it was very romantic view of Romanian history, mm -hmm. and that he wanted to try and revive it in a in a way that made sense to the ideology of communism, mm -hmm. which is a very interesting way to construct your national ideology under communism because mm -hmm. other nations they say, oh, you know, it's all about you know, the struggle of the proletariat, but they try and weave it as a way to mm -hmm. make those medieval struggles of land claims and, oh, you know, mm -hmm. the Wallachian, oh, Michael the Brave united mm -hmm. the Wallachians and the, Moldov and the Moldovans and the Transylvanians mm -hmm. to, to unite Romania. Mm -hmm. They try and paint that as, um, you know, struggle of the proletariat against the bourgeoisie mm -hmm. and uh, it gets, you know, edited to make it favorable and then they come up with this way to uh just sort of whitewash history in the sense or sort of muddle it into this form that it really isn't but yeah. it's just suiting their ideology mm -hmm. uh yeah actually he did the same thing with uh literature just telling i don't know the just trying to convey your message so your ideology so your your communism to poetry novels and this kind of things and for example if you were uh, a writer who wanted to publish something that wasn't related to his ideology or if you wanted to publish a novel that condemned his ideology he just put a ban on you or you just went to prison yeah and that there should be a distinction for that in some literature in literature classes but because oh you know it's public education and you know all oh, the government's involved they're going to try and protect that especially if there's still former communists in the government mm -hmm. because not only does that put a bad light on them it puts a bad light on who they worked for and the message they want to send as well so mm -hmm. eventually you've got to kind of sit down and think and realize ah that's the way this thing is. Mm -hmm. uh, you also talked about uh, three ideas that uh, some sort of, yeah, that define American nation, our lives, liberty, pursuit for happiness. And I found interesting the, the last uh, idea, the pursuit of happiness. Uh, I think that this is not very clear what is actually happiness. It's very difficult to... Yeah. That. So I suppose that humans, the, or I don't know, the American nation means the pursuit of happiness in the sense of uh, securing your future. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it really, because when we sat, when the founding fathers sat down, like Jefferson, Washington, mm -hmm. and Madison, Aaron Burr, Thomas, uh, Alexander Hamilton, mm -hmm. Patrick Henry, and the rest of them, when they sat down and thought, well, what are we going to, what are we going to say? What are our rights? Mm -hmm. And Jefferson 
when he wrote the Declaration of Independence, I think he realized that happiness is an elusive thing. Mm-hmm. You can't really, if you don't know what it is, if you don't know what happiness mm-hmm. is or how you define your own version of happiness, pardon me, then how are you going to achieve it? Mm-hmm. So the pursuit of happiness is probably the best way to upset it because what you're saying is, well, you have you have the opportunity to mm-hmm. do what you do what you wish under the bounds of the law, which is where we have liberty, mm-hmm. to to find the way you're going to uh, achieve your happiness, mm-hmm. as long as you don't infringe on someone else's life or their liberty, mm-hmm. and that's that's what the pursuit of happiness is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, in some sort of ways, happiness is connected to liberty. Yes. Okay, um, maybe also to morality, because you won't do bad to other people in your pursuit of happiness. Yes, yes. Just as mm-hmm. it's, you're free to pursue it however as you wish, unless as long as you follow the law and you maintain and you don't risk someone else's life. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, thank you very much. And uh, I also thank to our listeners. Just like to say uh, thank you for having me, Elena. It's truly mm-hmm. been a pleasure. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you too. Bye. Thank you. You listened to the student's voice. Thanks for listening and I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. Don't hesitate to follow me on social media in order to catch with the next episode. Bye.